The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Well, let's dive right into our text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at a verse that is a phenomenal verse. It can be a life-changing truth. And it's going to open up a subject for us. And uh, we will uh, draw upon some other big truth in the New Testament and seek to combine or connect the dots and look to the Spirit of God to explode that truth across our hearts that we might experience Jesus in the fullness of his life that God intends for us to experience this side of heaven. So let's look at our text. Hope your Bible is open, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 13. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, whatever your temptations are, you're not the only one. Now, not everyone has the same propensities toward certain temptations that the other person might, but whatever your propensities are, you are not the only one. Others have those same triggers, those same propensities uh, toward certain temptations. In other words, you're not weird. Aren't you glad you came to chapel today? (laughs) We already started on an encouraging note. But the fact is, whatever temptations you have, you are not the only one. So let's read on. But... God is faithful. That's a great statement. Who will not suffer. That is, allow you to be tempted above or beyond that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, though it's not observable in the English, technically there is a definite article before the word way. and This is so significant. God will make the way to escape. Why is that important? Because the way of escape is not a formula. The way of escape is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he's the way, the Father's the destination, and yet he goes on in that passage and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That means that Jesus is not only the way, he is the destination. And so in our application then, Jesus is not just the way to victory, though he is that. He is the victory, which means we're not focusing on a set of rituals. We're focusing on a relationship with a person. And so this morning, I want to preach on Jesus, the way of escape. This morning, we will look at Jesus, the way of escape over the world and the flesh, And then, Lord willing, tomorrow we'll look at Jesus as the way of escape over the enemy. But let's pray and ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of this chapel hour. Lord, thank you for this institution and these students and uh, the uh, administration, the faculty and staff. Now, Lord, would you breathe on us now? I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would connect the dots of truth and explode that truth across our hearts. And Lord, that you would nurture faith and produce a faith response. And so, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the evil one who certainly hates the truth we're about to look at. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you on the throne far above the enemy. 
And in your name that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder this morning and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, breathe on us. Bring hope to that one who's struggling with some area that just seems to keep them in bondage. And Lord, may they experience the truth as it is in Jesus, who himself sets free. Lord, we look to you now for these things, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the late 1960s, our family uh, was taking a vacation out to Durango, Colorado. And when you head southwest uh, from Denver to Durango, you go uh, eventually on Highway 160, which takes you through the Rocky Mountains. And there's a couple of mountain passes, obviously, you have to go over. And one of them is called Wolf Creek Pass. Now, today it's a four-laner. But the way I remember it in the late 1960s is that it was a narrow two-lane road, so narrow, this is the way I remember it, that often when you looked out the window, you could not see the shoulder because there wasn't one, <laughs> which meant you couldn't see uh, straight below you. You could just see a thousand feet down or whatever it was. So it was a bit unnerving. Now, we were riding in a station wagon. Now, I realize the majority of this audience does not know what a station wagon is. <laughs> uh, actually, they're making a few more these days. But I, uh, believe it or not, I was a kid in the pre-minivan era. But at any rate, we're in a station wagon. I'm number four in a lineup of five siblings. And so I was relegated to the back of the station wagon. And uh, at any rate, as we were uh, beginning to wind our way up uh, that Wolf Creek Pass, the older siblings were making comments uh, with the express intended purpose of scaring the younger siblings. And it was working. <laughs> and I was scared. And when we were on the inside lane next to the mountain wall, that was somewhat comforting. When we were on the outside lane and, you know, you couldn't see any guardrail because there's no shoulder, uh, that was not comforting. And uh, that's just how it was going. Well, finally, we crested the top of that pass and we began to make our way on the downside. Now, if you've been in the mountains, you know what this is like. Obviously, in the downside uh, uh, of those passes, they have periodically placed, strategically, escape ramps that are there for those pulling heavy weight, especially the 18-wheelers who sometimes can lose their brakes. Their brakes turn to jelly, as they say, and then that speed uh, uh, picks up and it can throw them off. Uh, for 25 years, uh, we drove a fifth wheel. Uh, one of my fifth wheels weighed 20,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. And uh, I did not have a stick. I had an automatic, so I couldn't hold it in the first gear. And, and when you're on the downside, that weight is just shoving you down that mountain. If you lost your brakes, your speed would pick up so fast that if you hit a corner, it would obviously uh, potentially throw you off that cliff. Well, when we were in that section of the mountain pass, I heard my parents and the older siblings gasp with a gasp of horror that I knew was no longer a joke. I saw everyone's gaze a certain direction, so I put my little face in the window and followed their gaze. And down at the bottom of that ravine, and I'm guessing when I say a thousand feet, I have no idea, but way down in the bottom of that ravine, there was an 18-wheeler just just smashed, just, just crumpled up like a piece of tinfoil. I would imagine that driver didn't make it. Perhaps because he did not take the way of escape. Now, friends, in life, sometimes it gets dangerous. On that road of life, sometimes there's precarious passes, we might say, like a mountain pass. And the truth of the matter is, we need at times a way to escape, and thankfully we have the way of escape himself in the person of Jesus Christ, and since Jesus is the way of escape, we must always take Jesus as our way of escape, as therefore the way of escape. 
Now, how does this practically play out in life? Well, in the New Testament, God provides specific truth in Jesus to match specific categories of temptation. In other words, we might say God customizes or makes the way to escape according to the type or kind of temptation that one is facing. Now, broadly speaking, temptation comes to us. It approaches us through the world, the flesh, and or the devil. But specifically, there are several approaches that the world, the flesh, and the devil take. And we must learn to discern what approach is coming our way so that we apply and take the specific truth in Jesus for the kind of temptation that is approaching. Today, I want us to look at temptation that approaches in the physical realm. In other words, you're tempted and you know exactly where it's coming from. You can see it. You can sometimes hear it. You can sometimes feel it. In other words, it's in the sensory realm. It's very apparent. It's in that physical realm. Now that lets us know that often this kind of temptation is not a direct attack from the enemy. It would rather be an indirect attack through worldly or fleshly snares. A number of years ago, I was in a meeting in southwest Wisconsin in the Dairy Hills, and there's a pastor there who's also a farmer, and a large family, a lot of boys, and they're hunters. And uh, so he was showing me all the furs, you know, hanging on the wall, various uh, animals that they had uh, 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 trapped and uh, sometimes snared. And then he began to show me the traps and the snares. Now, I'm a city kid. I grew up in Chicago. I'm based out of Michigan now. Uh, uh, by the way, where are the Michiganders in this audience? All right, there's a few. How about Ohio? You know, I wonder who won that game the other day. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But uh, at, <laughs> at any rate, uh, the fact is he was showing me these uh, traps and snares. And for me, as a kid who grew up in Chicago, I had never used a trap of any kind except a mousetrap. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's showing me these traps and how they work and the snares and all this stuff. And it was fascinating me. And uh, I did learn quite uh, quickly that obviously when the uh, hunter sets the trap, uh, he doesn't sit down next to it, pull out his lunch and wait for the animal to come. Now, he sets the trap. He goes his way and returns later to see what he's caught. You know, Satan is a master hunter. And he and his cohorts have set traps and snares all throughout our world system that they know from millenniums of experience appeal to mankind's flesh. But it doesn't necessarily mean that a demon is sitting there. The trap is set. They go their way, as it were, and come back later to see, in this case, who they have caught. For example, how about a billboard? Now, a billboard can be very helpful. I travel a lot of miles. This last year, I put on 35,000 miles. That's a lot of miles. And uh, sometimes those billboards are really helpful. Oh, Cracker Barrel's coming. Oh, great. And uh, whatever. Uh, but sometimes uh, a picture on a billboard could trigger temptation, depending on a person's background and propensities, as we mentioned a moment ago. Let's say if somebody has a background of addiction or vice, some billboards would immediately trigger temptation uh, to that vice or addiction. Uh, sometimes there's pictures that uh, are of a nature that they could trigger the temptation to think impurely. But my point in saying that is this, you know where it's coming from. You can see it. Now, isn't Satan a master at using pictures to trigger all kinds of temptations? 
And now they're right on our handheld device. But my point is, when that happens and there's that trigger of temptation, you know where it's coming from. You can see it. In other cases, you can feel it. How about an irritating circumstance? (laughs) Ever have one of those? Like when your roommate leaves his Lego on the floor. (laughs) And uh, you step on it. And you don't have your shoe on. uh, And uh, the Lego doesn't break. It's amazing how this works. But it feels like your foot does. And you're tempted. Maybe to say things that ought not be said. Or to make things fly that don't have wings. But whatever the case is, uh, uh, you're tempted to get irritated, aggravated, lose your temper, whatever. But you know where it's coming from. You just felt the pain of stepping on that Lego, whatever it is, on the floor. How about an abrasive comment that somebody makes? It just, uh, just grates you. And it triggers the temptation to respond with a harsh word. Or with derogatory sarcasm. And you're good at it. Which took practice by the way. Uh, But when that happens. You know where it's coming from. You can hear it. So again see it. Feel it. Hear it. It's in that sensory realm. It's in the physical realm. So what is the provision for deliverance? What is the specific truth in Jesus? Well when the temptation approaches in that physical realm. The down here world flesh arena. The provision of deliverance in Jesus. Is the reality of Jesus in you. The blessed truth that when you were born again, Jesus moved in. The spirit of Jesus brings that life of Jesus from the throne right into you so that the Bible can say in Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me. Not will live, but is living. That's an amazing provision. Now, we all know that, but you know, I found in my own experience, there's a lot of things you can know and not really know. We can know them intellectually, but not know them experientially. And God wants us to experience Jesus. He moved in to live his life, not ours. He moved in to impart to us our personality. Yes, our body, our face, our our soul. And yet his life animating us from the deepest part of us. A divine someone inside of a human someone. So that the human someone is animated by the divine someone. This is an amazing plan of God. No other religion has the founder moving right into the hearts of the followers. Jesus is in you. And I'm going to tell you, when that truth sinks all the way in, it is absolutely life-changing. Because Jesus is the victorious life himself. And he's there to impart that divine life. See, divine ability, supernatural enablement, that undeserved favor of grace, where that uh, supernatural enablement through the spirit of Jesus enables us to do what we otherwise could not do in the strength of the flesh. And so the provision is Jesus living in us. But it is interesting in Galatians 2.20, Christ liveth in me, and it goes on to say, by faith. The provision is there. He is living in us. That's a fact. It's not even a promise. It's not a future will be. It's a fact. It's a reality right now. But without faith, we miss out on the full benefits of that amazing provision. But with faith, you access him. And I love this. When you access him, you access what we might call the principle of overcoming. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that overcoming life is living in you right now. 
And when you access him, there's an amazing power. Romans 8 verse 2 puts it this way, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now notice, it doesn't say that the law of sin and death is no longer there, but somehow we're made free from that law of sin and death. You see, that law of the spirit of life in Christ, in other words, Christ living in us, frees us to counteract and overcome that law of sin. Now what's that? Now notice it doesn't say sins. In Romans 6 through 8, the book of Romans switches from the plural use of sins, referring to actions, to sin in the singular, referring to an entity within us. As Romans 7 calls it, sin which dwelleth in me. And it's fascinating, that's not sins, it's that something in us that urges us and influences us to commit sins. In other words, when there's that trigger of temptation that we've been talking about and you feel the pull, do you know what I mean? That feel the pull, that's indwelling sin. But here's the good news. When you got saved, according to Galatians 3, 26 and 27, when you put your faith in Jesus, you were baptized into Christ. And when you got immersed into Jesus, you got immersed into his death, Romans 6, 3. And when you got immersed into his death, that's when you, in Christ, died to sin, Romans 6, 2. The point is simply this. The practical essence of death is separation, just as when a soul separates from a body. And when you were born again, you were placed into Jesus. You were placed into his history, therefore into his death and resurrection. And in that death, in that core of your being, where your human spirit, what the Bible calls the old man, was joined to this entity called indwelling sin. You were shackled to him, but you got set free. You in Christ died too, were severed from indwelling sin. However, indwelling sin still resides in our soul and body level. That's why we're not perfect. And that's why we feel the pull. But we're not chained to him anymore. For he who has died has been freed from sin, Romans 6, 7. And so our spirit has been raised the new man. That is God's nature implanted into us. When you got regenerated, you got regened, we might say. Uh, the DNA of God, 1 John 3, 9, was inserted into you. There was a part of you made holy so the Holy Spirit could move in and thus bring to you the reality that we're talking about. Christ lives in us. Our responsibility is to appropriate. You say, what's that? Well, it means to take. You say, why don't you just say take? Well, it's because I thought appropriate sounded good, don't you think? But it is the simplicity of taking, taking the reality of Jesus in you, trusting him to counteract and to overcome that worldly or fleshly trap or snare. You're taking who is being provided, trusting him to enable you to obey. In other words, we're familiar with the song, Trust and Obey. It's trust to obey, you might say. It's taking so that you now have his divine life so that when you act, it's not just you. It's the overcoming life who never fails. You see, when you just act, when you just obey without faith, then it's just you and the flesh profits nothing. And either you crash and burn, I know what that's like, or you produce the form of godliness. And that means there is a form, but you deny the power thereof. Both are failure. 
But when you take, now the Spirit imparts to you that life of Jesus. He fills you with the life of Jesus. You see, friends, that's the Spirit-filled life. It's when the Spirit fills you with the life of Jesus himself. And now there's the power to obey. That's how it works. Now, appropriation is what you do when you go to the bank. Let's suppose you have a bank account. Let's so, suppose you have a checking account. And let's suppose you actually have some money in it. <laughs> and, of course, the banks have their system. You know, a little slip of paper, your right number, all that stuff. Let's uh, suppose you just ignore all that and decide that you're going to just give a speech. And, uh, I mean, you know, you've been to college. But, uh, you've taken speech. And so uh, you're going to just give a speech as to why that bank should give you 500 bucks, let's say. And so you wax eloquent. You even shed tears. Well, they're going to quickly escort you out of there. But when you have that little slip of paper that has your number on it and the appropriate information, then you get to appropriate what is already yours. You get to take so that you can act on it. Spend it. Now, friends, here's the good news. When you got saved, Jesus, the bank account of heaven, moved into you. And each time you go and take, he never diminishes, very unlike our checking accounts. And we can go repeatedly, even throughout a given day, as new needs arise, new triggers of temptation, and we can take so that we can act, so that we can spend. That's what we're talking about. And when we take Jesus, his life overcomes. It counteracts and overcomes the worldly or fleshly snare that we're facing. Now you say, what do you mean by counteract? Well, it's kind of like uh, these glasses. If I take my glasses off, uh, you have a chance to go to sleep without my knowing it. Uh, because now everything's a blur. I can see that there's bodies out here. I can see that these bodies have heads. <laughs> but I can't see your eyes, whether or not they're open or closed. But if I put on my glasses, then the law of corrective lenses, we might say, counteracts and overcomes the law of nearsightedness. And now I can see clearly. And uh, it doesn't cure me because if I stop depending on my glasses, everything's a blur again. But as long as I keep depending on my glasses, then I can keep uh, seeing because the law of corrective lenses counteracts and overcomes the law of nearsightedness. By the way, it is amazing what preachers see when they preach. Did you know that just as you can sit out there and look up here and see us, we can stand up here and look out there and see you. It is amazing what we see. I've been preaching for a long time. I've uh, been in evangelism uh, about almost 32 years now. And it's amazing what people do right in front of your, you know, while you're on the platform and you can see it. I have seen some people explore the deep recesses and extremities of their nasal cavities. <laughs> and I'm thinking, good night, you know, I, I can see you. Well, at any rate, back to our text. <laughs> Similarly, when we take Jesus, like the law of corrective lenses, see, he counteracts, he overcomes now, it's not a once-for-all cure. We're not talking about a once-for-all second blessing. We're talking about a repeated access of your first blessing. Because as long as you keep depending on Jesus, it's like the glasses, he keeps imparting his life, which counteracts and overcomes the world and the flesh. So, for example, the billboard. And let's suppose here's a picture that could trigger the temptation maybe to think impurely. And you know, we have the privilege of taking Jesus. Why? He's living in us. You know, he knows how to navigate this. In fact, he walked our planet before. He's not surprised by technology. He's not surprised by 2023. And we can take Jesus. And when we do, he imparts to us his life so that we can act on it. We can look the other way and be free from what we saw as if we did not see it. 
You see, in the flesh, you can say, oh, that's bad. Okay, neck turned this way. So neck turns this way while heart stays that way. That's not victory. That's counterfeit. But when you take Jesus, then he imparts his life and he frees you to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you did not see it. Now, I'm going to tell you, that means it is possible to navigate our world, the workplace, the business place, the marketplace, and experience Jesus. You see, the scripture puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, thanks be to God who is giving. See, it's present tense. It's parallel to Christ is living in us. And thus, thanks be to God who is giving us the victory. Jesus. Now, suppose after chapel, somebody comes to you and says, you know, I just got a burden to do this for you. And uh, I'd like to give this to you uh, as a gift. And they hold out a $100 bill. Now, if you're smart, what would you do? You can talk to me. Take it. And if you're courteous, what would you say? Thank you. And the thank you means you believe that you have received. Isn't it interesting that scripture says, thanks be to God, who's giving us the victory, Jesus. And so in the face of that trigger of temptation, we can say, thank you. In other words, it is not a formula of words. It's not a mantra uh, of, of words. It's a transaction of trust. It is that look of faith. Just like you looked to Jesus in faith, trusting him to save you. So throughout the week, each day, new things arise. We can look in faith to that same Jesus, trusting him to impart his overcoming life to us. Same thing with the irritating circumstance. Ah, it's just frustrating and you're tempted to, you know, say things or do things that uh, would just be in anger. But, you know, you can look to Jesus. Now, in all of this, if you're looking for a formula, you won't want Jesus when the trigger occurs. But if there is a relationship with the person, then there can be that quick look to Jesus that is that look of faith and you take. And that's when you experience Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. I was coming home a couple of years ago at my home church uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, a friend of mine was telling me, hey, the other day he said, uh, I was driving down the road to work or coming from work, one or the other. And he said, uh, he said, I have a problem with road rage. And uh, he said, uh, you know, it's been a real problem. And he said, I, I was listening to your sermon called The Way of Escape. <laughs> and he said, as the Lord would have it, somebody pulls out in front of me. <laughs> And he said, normally I would have just immediately been in road rage. But he said, I was just thinking, wait a second, I'm listening to this sermon about escaping. He said, so I, I, I pushed the pause button. And he said, I quickly looked to Jesus and said, thank you. He smiled and said, you know what? I didn't have any rage. You know why? Because he accessed Jesus. And guess what? Jesus doesn't lose his temper. See, that's the reality of this. You're accessing the victorious life himself. How about when someone makes that abrasive comment? I remember I was after a service one time in a revival meeting. A lady came up to me and she was talking to me and she was just being ugly. I'm not saying she was ugly. I'm saying she was, she was talking ugly and uh, she was upset. I don't remember what it was. And I remember thinking, you know, uh, ma'am, I, I, I'm right here. I can see it. I can hear all this. And I remember, you know, you're very tempted to, in the very least, just condescend this person. And I remember in my heart, just looking to the Lord and saying, your love. And you know, immediately, 
my perspective toward that lady was completely altered as the love of Jesus was shed abroad in my heart. I will tell you something. I cannot do that on my own. But I'm not on my own and you're not either. And we can take Jesus, whatever the trigger of temptation is, we can take Jesus. Just as when you look to Jesus in that look of faith, trusting him to save you, there is that look. And again, whether it's your love or whether it's thanking Jesus or your life, the the point is it's the, the, the faith in the person. And the moment you look to the person of Jesus, he is the way of escape. And you experience his victory as his divine ability is imparted to you from the inside out. And so may we learn when triggers of temptation hit us in that physical realm, the world and the flesh, to take Jesus. I mean, trust him. And when you do, you experience the way of escape himself. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.